Welcome to Buying Local. I am Mike Nelson, your host, here with a guest today to talk about some uh, new happenings in the, the local markets. There seems to be some uh, confusion, some controversy, and you know, it seems like we're just trying to all get to the bottom of what's going on. Uh, very easy these days on the internet to find all sorts of information about pretty much any subject. So sometimes uh, hearing it straight from the Horse's mouth, as they say, right, is the, the best way to do that. So I'm here today with Ray Appy from Saratoga Biochar Solutions. Ray, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. No, I, you know, again, I we, we've talked about this, uh, you know, obviously our team here at uh, Spocity has done some work with you guys. We helped you build a website. We've done a little video production and, and really, you know, there's just so much information out there. And so I know I even having a relationship with you, uh, I'm just a little confused about a lot of the things that I keep saying, what seeing, whether it's on Facebook or, you know, and, and countless news articles that we've been seeing come through uh, local publications. And uh, I think there might even been something on the news, uh, television news. And so, and, and none of it all seems to kind of line up with each other. And uh, so again, I, I'm confused. <laughs> and, so, and I know that there's a lot of people out there in the local communities are, are confused as well. You have a uh, kind of a Q&A session coming up, I believe, on uh, Monday the 19th. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. So uh, to kind of help, I think, to... I don't know what the word is, uh, to kind of clarify, I guess, maybe to try to, uh, you know, bring a little light to the subject uh, with all the confusion out there. And, and, and we're hoping to kind of talk about some of that stuff today as well. So um, maybe, you know, before we get started, uh, for anybody that's not aware of what the project is, maybe just kind of give us a rundown about, uh, you know, who you are and, and what uh, Saratoga Biochar is, is trying to do. Sure. Thanks, Mike. So uh, just backing up one step, the um, meeting that you referenced that's coming up on Monday night, yeah. night that's a public participation informational meeting. And the intent is to um, provide information for not only Moreau, the town in which the project would be located, but for the surrounding communities so that people can understand what we've proposed to do, where we are in the process, specifically where we are in the New York State DEC permitting process give them a chance to uh, it, uh, offer comments, uh, ask questions, give us a chance to respond. It'll be a two-hour virtual meeting, and we're hoping it's productive. So okay. that's that. A little bit of background on me. I've uh, worked in the uh, upstate New York area my entire professional career. I previously ran a technology company called Anison Associates, which I sold uh, in 2017. And after that, went back to my roots, which is in environmental science, uh, that's what I was educated in in undergrad and graduate school and uh, partnered up with a couple of guys who ha had a shared interest in taking uh, a valuable waste product and, and cleaning it and converting it into a valuable fertilizer product. And so we created um, a company called Northeastern Biochar Solutions, which has a subsidiary company, Saratoga Biochar, which is our first project company. And uh, we proceeded to file a site plan application in the summer of 2021 with the town of Moreau to site our first facility in their industrial park. The reception initially was, was positive. The review process took 13 months formally, about 16 months, including some pre-application uh, pre work. And uh, we received a site plan approval in August of this year to site that project in the Moreau Industrial Park. That approval had 16 fairly stringent conditions related to um, human health, environmental safety, 
and a nuisance, you know, relative to the potential for odors or noise. So the town did a really nice job, I think, in reviewing the project in detail, um, putting forth conditions with their approval, which protect their community. So that's where we are now. We've completed that step. We're in the middle of the DEC permitting step and uh, public participation is part of that process. And that's what's happening now. Okay. All right. And so, you know, again, I, we, there's a lot of information out there and I don't know how many articles I think I've, I've read at this point. I know that, uh, you know, we, we've, we've written a few as well. And I'm just trying to understand, like, where, where is all the confusion come from? You know, like, is there, is there, uh, 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 I don't want to say a source, but like, I, you know, there's just so much information on the internet. I know at one point in time, there was a comparison to like, uh, the situation that happened up in Maine with, you know, there was like, I think I, I'm not even sure of the situation it was like, they're spreading sewage on fields and oh, like, I, you I know could, what I'm talking about? I could tell you exactly what happened in Maine. Um, in summary, in Maine, there was a um, an organic dairy farm that was receiving biosolids from a local regional sewage treatment plant that uh, those biosolids contained elevated levels of PFAS, PFAS compounds. And the reason that they did is because within that watershed was a manufacturing company that was using extremely high levels of PFAS in products that were actually used for human food consumption. So plates and cups and things oh, like that. That's great. Yeah, that's and that was the source. And so they were using so much, they were actually releasing uh, quite a lot of it in their wastewater, which went to the wastewater treatment plant, which ended up in the biosolids, which were then taken out and spread on um, on cropland. So that that uh, created elevated levels of PFAS in the in the grass that the cows ate, and and then in the cows. So you know that's and that's a terrible outcome, and that shouldn't happen. That's one of the one of the many reasons why we're opposed to the continued practice of using biosolids directly as a fertilizer without further treatment. So currently in 44 out of 50 states, it's legal to use biosolids as a fertilizer. Those biosolids are treated at the wastewater treatment plant to grade the biosolids. I won't get into the details of how that works unless you want to, but additionally, um, biosolids are then typically composted, lime is added, and they're basically allowed to rot long enough so that the pathogens work their way out of through the natural decomposition process. And then they're considered, quote unquote, class A biosolids. And then they're used on, uh, for agricultural fertilizer. So that's what happened in Maine. So, and I know that I read it somewhere, but it, there's, there continues to be a parallel drawn between what happened in Maine and what you're trying to accomplish here. Can, can and help me understand, you know, because again, I'm I'm just a a podcast host, right? So, like, what is what's the difference between what they did and what you're doing? Yeah, it's interesting that people are trying to draw a parallel because there is none. There, the, what occurred in Maine and and situations similar to that are the the primary reason why we've developed this technology to take these biosolids materials add a tremendous additional treatment step to decontaminate them from the kind of materials that, that you know, that cause problems in Maine, PFAS particularly, as well as other volatile organic compounds that come from pharmaceuticals, everything that goes down the drain, the toilet, the, the, uh, the car wash, etc. So we've developed a process to decontaminate those materials and actually totally convert biosolids to something else, to carbon fertilizer. Our end product, to be clear, is not biosolids. It is no longer biosolids. It's completely different. It's been entirely altered, um, decontaminated, and the remaining uh, material is 30% 30 to 32% carbon, and the balance of the material is macro and micronutrients, 
that are free of those contaminants that are human and health, human health and environmental concerns. So if I understand that correctly, what I hear you saying is that you're taking the biosolids and pulling all the bad stuff out, leaving the good stuff behind. I mean, I, you know, I, uh, I live on a small farm. We have animals. We use the animal waste, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to help grow food because it's full of nutrients that the, the ground likes and the plants like. So uh, it, it, are you basically creating a, you know, a waste product, so to speak, that becomes something that can be used, right? Is that, is that the end goal is that we're, you're pulling all the bad stuff out, you're leaving the good stuff behind? That's a great, simple way to put it. We're pulling the bad stuff out, saving the good stuff. Um, the good stuff that comes out is it's dry. It's very stable. It has all kinds of benefits to the environment. It sequesters a tremendous amount of fixed carbon back into our agricultural soils. Um, I could go on and on, but just very briefly, especially in, in the realm of um, industrial grade agriculture uh, and crop production in North America and throughout the developed world, we've been pulling carbon and nutrients out of our fertile soils to grow crops for human consumption directly, for animal consumption. And uh, for the most part, particularly with human consumption, the waste material that comes from the human population does not go back to the agricultural fields where it came from. Mm -hmm. It goes into little holes in the ground called landfills, or it goes to incinerators and gets burned directly. The solids get burned and pushed up into the atmosphere with some levels of air cleaning. Um, And then there are other avenues too. So one one of the things we just talked about was direct agricultural land application of Mm biosolids. So those are kind of the outlets for that that material today. Um, We do something completely different with it. We we do exactly what you said. We take the bad stuff out, treat those materials, dry them, create a very stable uh, carbon fertilizer product that's loaded with macro and micronutrients and use that safely as a fertilizer. And so that takes that material and, and, and puts it into a format that's uh, a tremendous beneficial use for society. So if we're taking the bad stuff out and we're leaving the good stuff behind, right, to be used, where does the bad stuff go? Well, the volatile organic compounds and organofluorines like PFAS simply get um, broken apart, literally broken apart through through thermal process. So um, we have a multi-stage treatment system, and I'll describe that really briefly. The biosolids come in, they're mixed with clean waste wood. Uh, we mix in a little wood. It, it allows us to buffer um, moisture content. It also adds a little energy into the mix and, it, and a little additional carbon. Um, so we will add about 10% wood waste into the biosolids. That gets mixed uh, to provide a, 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 pro, or a feedstock that, that is a continuous feed and, and has continuity. In other words, it's, it's you know, uniform. Okay. And that goes first into a dryer. Um, and that dryer is simply a large rotary drum, which gets a lot of hot air pushed through it and heat under it. And that simply takes the moisture out of the mixed biosolids in wood. So when the biosolids come in, the moisture content's around 75%. And when they come out the other end of that dryer with the mixed wood, uh, it's going to be down to about 5% moisture content. So at that point, it's quite dry. And from there, it goes into a pyrolysis kiln, which is basically another big rotary drum device um, with a lot of heat. So it's much hotter than a dryer. And in that pyrolysis kiln, that's where we're actually separating the unwanted volatile organic compounds and organofluorines like PFAS out of the solids. So there we're separating solids from gases and the gases contain the unwanted 
contaminants, right? And so those gases also contain what I call an aerosolized oil. Um, it is, there is an oil mixed in with the gases, but it's aerosolized. Mm -hmm. And so that mixed gas and aerosolized oil gets pushed immediately into a thermal oxidizer, which again, um, heats it to even higher temperature. So in the, in the pyrolysis kiln, we're operating just over a thousand degrees. And then those gases are pushed up into a thermal oxidizer, which the first stage of which operates at 2,300 degrees, which is higher than uh, we had originally intended. And we can talk about the manufacturing reasons for that, but we've been able to secure a guarantee from the thermal oxidizer manufacturer to remove PFAS if we operate the first stage at 2,300 degrees Fahrenheit. So, so that's, that's let, what we're going to do. Let me, so let me ask this. So the first stage... Right. So the whole process from what I hear saying is first you, you dry it, mm -hmm. which means that there's water coming out of it, I would assume. Correct. Right. Yep. Where does the water go? Out the stack. Out the stack. So mm -hmm. it, it's. Yeah. Uh, the, the emissions from the plant will contain quite a lot of just H2O. As a matter of fact, if you were driving by and were to see our emission stack, if you saw a plume, especially in cold weather, yeah. a white plume coming out of there, mm -hmm. that is mostly water. Okay. And. Is, is there any, like, anything, any of the bad stuff in the water, I guess? No, because that's, uh, in, in the dryer, you're, you're separating it. You're, you're actually, no, no, the water is still, at that point, the water is separated from the solids, and the solids contain all of the contaminants. Okay, okay. Still at that point. Okay, so first you dry it. The wastewater goes out the stack. I would imagine it becomes rain. That's something, or whatever, wherever, wherever water goes. So, and then your next part is that you heat it, but you're not burning it at this point. Is that the pyrolysis? Again, I have a very rudimentary understanding of it. Correct. But. The pyrolysis kiln is a, it's a device that takes material in to an environment where we can heat it, as I said, to just over a thousand degrees in an, that environment has no oxygen. It's, mm -hmm. it's an oxygen starved environment. So, okay, therefore, so it can't burn. Therefore it can't burn without okay. oxygen. There's no fire. And so that allows us, that heating allows us to separate um, the volatile organic compounds, PFAS and those, those sorts of things from the solids. So what comes out of the pyrolysis kiln is the end product. At that point, that carbon fertilizer is it's hot. It needs to be cooled and bagged, but it's, it's basically ready to go. It's, okay. it's done. The product is made at that point. It's what happens after that to the gases and, and uh, the gas and, vol and volatilized oils that, that matters relative to decontamination. So from there, it goes again, as I was saying, to the thermal oxidizer, which cooks it initially at 2300 degrees. That's a three-stage thermal oxidizer, so it goes through multiple stages, um, and uh, that combustion uh, breaks apart all those compounds. So mm -hmm. there's nearly nothing left after that point um, of concern. Uh, in the exhaust gas. And we capture the energy from that heat release and we actually use that to heat the dryer. So that's what makes our process so efficient. We take the energy from the biosolids and mixed woods effectively in that manner and we use that heat energy to run the dryer so we don't have to use an outside fuel source to run the dryer. So, okay. So you dry it, you heat it very hot, but don't burn it per se because there's no right. oxygen. And then you have your fertilizer, mm -hmm. and but there's still some of the bad stuff. The bad stuff goes up, and you heat it again. This time, though, you are burning it. This time, we're combusting the gases and the aerosolized oils. That's correct. Okay. To, mm -hmm. I think you said 2,300 degrees. Initially, 2,300. There, it's a multi-stage. The highest, the hottest point in it is the first stage at 2,300. Okay. And that 
breaks up all of the bad stuff that mm-hmm. we don't want. Basically, yep. Okay. And then it goes out the stack. So, you know, the air that's there goes out the stack. But before well, it does... Let's be careful with the with the use of the terms that goes out the stack from there. Because, <laughs> okay. because probably, I mean, relative to... Uh, human health concerns and questions that have been raised about the air emissions from this facility, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of how successful we are at destroying contaminants in the thermal oxidizer process, yeah. what matters most is how we scrub the air and how effective the air treatment system is after that. Okay. All right. So because, that's because Mike, what if we don't get it all? I mean, I've, I'm getting a manufacturer guarantee that says, oh yeah, at 2300 degrees, we'll, we'll break up all the PFAS. There won't be any well, what if there is? I don't want it going out of our stack. Right. So okay. the DEC is regulating us. There will be a, a, a permit compliance requirement that only certain amounts of certain compounds are allowed to go out of the stack. And we have to, if we don't comply with that permit, they shut us down. Yeah. And, you know, we can't afford to be shut down. So we're not having that happen. So the air treatment system is critical in this whole process. I have, I have to imagine that in today's day and age, after all the things that have happened around the country uh, over the last 100 years of major manufacturers polluting the environment and doing some some pretty bad things, I guess, that there's got to be some oversight that is making sure that that doesn't happen. <laughs> well, that's that's an interesting way to put it. I, I would I would characterize it this way. Yes, that has occurred. A hundred years ago, there was no DEC here in New York. There were no, there was no environmental regulation. Yeah, and, no EPA. And, and no EPA. No. And, and over that period of time, those organizations have grown. The regulations that they've developed, which are are founded by the laws that are developed in our legislatures, um, have really continuously tightened the reins on um, on uh, environmental pollution concerns and human health concerns, and all for good reason. That's it. That that absolutely is how it, how it should be. And interestingly, here in New York State we probably have the most aggressive or the most effective environmental regulator in the country. The only other one that remotely compares would be California. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> New York and California, we, we like to regulate everything. Well, and, and some people say it's, it's, you know, to a fault. But, I mean, as it relates to human health, I, I don't know that there can ever be enough because hor- horrible things have happened. So, well, so, there, so there is that oversight that you just mentioned. There is absolutely that type of oversight here in New York State. Well, but, and that's, that was something that I keep reading as well um, in both news articles and on Facebook and in different forums is that uh, – you know, one of the concerns is that locally, we know we have had some, and I won't name them, but we've had some organizations that uh, have not been kind to the environment. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there have been uh, high cancer rates that I don't know if they've ever been able to exactly connect those dots. But I know that a lot of people locally feel that some of these higher cancer rates locally have been attributed to those organizations. And, and because of that, people are, uh, you know, to say, Rightfully so, a little bit gun shy, um, and so I guess my question is, you know, how how do you, you know, I, I know that you mentioned uh, manufacturer guarantee. Like, how do you how do you not become one of those organizations? And, and I and I know that we kind of touched on it, but I, I know that it's kind of a big concern, and I, I just. I want to make sure that I get the answer, right? Like, how do you not become those organizations? Well, I mean, that's something that absolutely must be avoided because that that sort of pollution and, and, and lack of care for environment and human health isn't acceptable anymore. So we wouldn't be able to operate. If, if we, And again, back to the permit compliance. If we're not able to conform and comply with the permits that will be hopefully provided by New York State DEC for waste management, 
handling and uh, for air emissions, we will be shut down. We'll be out of business, and that's not acceptable. So, uh, so everything relates to um, the engineering, design, planning, testing, lab analysis, and we've spent years on this. So I've had a lot of criticism. Uh, you guys don't know that you can do this. Well, yeah, actually, we do know. We spent hundreds of thousands of dollars with our manufacturing partners, uh, with field testing, and with lab analysis. And then I've had some people say, well, hand us the lab analysis. Well, no, I'm not handing over. This This is trade secret information. If the regulator wants it, we've given the regulator everything that they need, and we would open up anything to them. Some of that would have to be redacted relative to public consumption because it's trade secret. It has tremendous intellectual property value that we have spent a lot of money and time on, and I'm not going to have our competitors just handed that information. So so we've been doing this for years, and so it's all about the depth of the review and the planning and design and and the team that encompasses all this. So we've got, this isn't me or, right. my, or my two founding partners, Lee Wolfelkuhl and Bryce Meek are doing all this. We're providing guidance to to, you know, to make sure that our our consulting and manufacturing partners understand the business that we're trying to build and what it needs to do. Uh, but we're relying on people with chemical engineering degrees, physical engineering degrees, professional engineers, manufacturing design engineers with decades and decades of experience in thermal processing and chemical conversion to come up with the answers to meet the needs of our business plan. And now you mentioned uh, in the conversation earlier about like manufacturer guarantees. Like, what what does that mean exactly when you have a manufacturer? I mean, because again, you know, there's there's been uh, questions that you know this has never been done before. Uh, you're the the first facility of your kind. I I don't know if it's in the world, but in this country anyway. Um, what, what you know? What what does a guarantee mean? Like a from the manufacturers, I just don't, I don't understand that. So I can describe that really, really clearly and succinctly. But first, um, we're not the first facility of, of this kind in the world. Um, biosolids, biochar production is occurring in Europe and in the UK and China, and um, the North American continent hasn't really hasn't adapted yet. So, but we're we're definitely ahead of the curve in that regard, and that's um, we we need, we want to and we need to be first to market with that. That's our first mover advantage. And so, you know, that, that has a lot of value to us. But the, um, the guarantees really, really come in three different levels or three areas. The, the first is simply a process guarantee from the thermal processing equipment manufacturer. And that basically says that this equipment is guaranteed to, to process 10 tons per hour of the material that you want to process without fail. And, uh, and if there is failure, the manufacturer has um, a certain set of responsibilities, financial and direct and immediate intervention responsibilities to fix that problem. And uh, to us, that means business continuity. Um, and it also means that we wouldn't have to, you know, have a, a stream of biosolids backed up at the facility and unable to be processed. And we're, we're working with a manufacturer that's been building thermal processing equipment for 148 years in here in the United States. This mm-hmm. is a U.S. manufacturer. And, and when, I don't mean to interrupt, but when you say a stream of biosolids backed up at the facility, do, do you mean like from a transport standpoint or like you want to have a line of track? I know that's... Yeah, yeah. so from a transport standpoint, so we have two mechanisms, right? So first off, we, we need to be able to process a material that comes in without fail. So that's, that's what the manufacturing guarantee uh, provides for us relative to process guarantee. And we also have a, an engagement with our feedstock provider, Casella Organics, which which um, contractually enables us to, with a phone call, say, if we needed to, 
you have to stop bringing bile solids immediately. And so at that point, they would divert the trucks before they ever got to Moreau. They'll go somewhere else. They'll go to a landfill, another incinerator, land out, all the things that we don't want them to do with bile solids. They'll mm -hmm. go back to doing what they do today, um, which would cost us a lot of money because we're unable, unable at that point to meet the contractual obligations with the feedstock provider. So therefore, we get basically the manufacturer guarantee pays for, covers the cost of that downtime effectively. So that's level one is just process guarantee on the thermal processing equipment. The second level, which is really important, um, is the guarantee from the uh, manufacturer that's that's building the thermal oxidation unit, the multi-stage thermal oxidizer that we talked about a minute ago. And that's where you, <clears throat> you, you cook the bad stuff to break it apart? Nope. No, no, all right. No, that that's pyrolysis. The the thermal oxidation is the next stage after that, okay. where we actually heat the gas and aerosolized oil to twenty three hundred degrees, and then it steps down in a multi stage um, combustion. Chamber. Okay, so that's the one that basically that's, breaks that's, up the PFAS. Yes, yeah, that's combustion. Okay, and so in order to obtain a guarantee from that manufacturer, um, we've raised the temperature. We've made it a multi stage unit. The cost of it's gone from one million to three million dollars to have that surety that it will do what it's prescribed to do. And so that's really important because that, that manufacturer is giving us a, literally giving us a guarantee on PFAS destruction, which has become a really hot topic. Um, a lot of people are concerned about it, I guess rightly so. Um, and, and additionally, we know that the EPA, the US EPA is tightening regulations on PFAS. They have named certain there are over 4,000 variants of PFAS in, in the manufacturing world that are used in all kinds of different products and things, including things that you eat with. But um, the regulations are being tightened on, on, on those as a set generally, and certain components of that uh, set of PFAS compounds have now been deemed hazardous, um, hazardous material. Uh, that's not biosolids, but specifically certain variants of PFAS are, mm -hmm. now, are now regulated as hazardous. And so my point is that we know that as time goes on, the requirements for PFAS remediation and the requirements that there is no PFAS um, or that PFAS is, is heavily regulated in air emissions are going to get tighter and tighter. So we don't want to have to rebuild the plant 10 years from now. We're building it today to be ready for today's regulations and tomorrow's, especially relative to PFAS, because that is... It's a trace amount in biosolids, but it does exist. It's, it's of high public concern. And we have made the commitment that we destroy, remediate PFAS from, uh, from the material. And uh, we're committed to that, uh, to, to do that. So that's, that's thermal oxidation guarantee for PFAS destruction. And the third level of manufacturer guarantee is the air treatment system. We are working with Condor Chem Envirotech. It's a European, it's a massive European company one of, if not the most successful air industrial air treatment manufacturer providers in the world. Um, and that air treatment system is in excess of $2 million. And we are getting a guarantee from that manufacturer that we will meet or exceed the requirements for our New York State DEC air emissions permit, and that we will uh, exceed expectations for odor removal. It's one of the most important things to us is not to have a facility that stinks up the neighborhood. And, you know, Moreau is a fairly rural area. Uh, within a half a mile of facility, there are, I think, under 60 residences or residential locations or postal addresses anyway. And, uh, you know, we, but we don't, want, we don't want an odor problem. We don't want odor complaints. Right. Uh, we don't want to be a bad neighbor. We've signed, we've created and signed a policy 
in Monroe that says we'll be a good neighbor. We won't stink it up. Uh, we won't have problems with trucks. We won't have noise that exceeds the town's noise regulations and things like that. So it's important to us to remediate odor. And so what comes out the stack, the emission stack of the facility um, goes relatively unnoticed by the surrounding public. So I guess on that point, and I know, like you said, you're, you're going above and beyond expectations from the DEC as far as what your emissions are. I guess, I mean, I, you know, I don't know what those standards are. I have to assume they're probably pretty high, but um, I know that one of the things that we've seen in the news is that you've, uh, you're, you've been, I don't know, hit with a lawsuit, I guess, from uh, a local environmental about, about your air emissions. So I guess that's what I, I'm another, one of the things I'm confused about. If, you know, if you're above and beyond what all of the regulating agencies are asking, what possibly could someone be, you know, be suing you for? I, I guess, again, one of the things that is just very confusing out there. Yeah, there's a, just based on your question there, there's a lot of confusion. Um, so first off, the, um, the lawsuit is called an Article 78 complaint, and it was filed against the town of Moreau Planning Board specifically. Oh, okay. And Saratoga Biochar was named as a co-respondent. Um, and what that lawsuit alleges is that the town of Moreau Planning Board did not uh, adequ adequately adhere to New York State's Environmental Quality Review Act and the um, and the requirements of that act to, for project reviews. They basically say that the town didn't do enough review of the proposed project and that they did not rightfully um, issue a state environmental quality review negative declaration. Negative meaning no substantial uh, environmental impact. They issued a positive, or they issued a, a negative declaration that said there would be no substantial environmental impact, meaning that it's it's you know like mild to moderate. Um, and uh, in the process of their review, they also discussed and evaluated the environmental and human health mitigation measures that uh, that we have proposed and designed, and um, and that covered a lot of areas from wastewater discharge, the wastewater content, air emissions, truck traffic, uh, traffic route, odor, noise, um, environmental concerns like are we building on a property that ha potentially has um, endangered species or anything of that nature, Ar archaeological remains, all of those things were covered in that review, all of those things, including also things like um, uh, emergency management. We met with the Saratoga County Emergency Management and with the local fire department chief um, to review the, um, the facility layout and we got their input and we'll continue to get their input through the building permit process to ensure that the facility is properly designed to, you know, for emergency response and emergency management and things like that. So the review was comprehensive. The lawsuit alleges that it wasn't, um, but that's what it's about. It's about the state environmental quality review specifically. It's not, um, it's not, detailed to the level of it's not a lawsuit against an, an air emissions profile or something gotcha like okay because that's again what as you read all these different things whether it's on facebook or or in some of the news articles yeah. that i've read uh you know just that's that was the impression that i got was that you guys were being sued but it's yeah well it, in effect we are but the lawsuit is directly aimed at the town of rural planning board and we're the applicant relative to the approval that they provided so they named us as a co-respondent okay in, in an Article 78 lawsuit, it's not like a civil lawsuit. There's no discovery. There's no trial. What it is, is it's a complaint filed where um, an appointed judge will then review the, the record of the government's handling of an action. 
So in other words, the Saratoga County Court is going to review the Moreau Town Planning Board's handling of our application and the handling of their state environmental quality review relative to our application. And the court will then render a decision that, that the way that that agency handled that was appropriate or not. Understood. Okay. That makes a little more sense. What, um, I just a couple more questions. I know we're, we're kind of getting pressed for time. Uh, you know, one of the things that I keep seeing a lot too is the term, and we kind of touched on this in the beginning with the whole main deal, but like I keep hearing sewage sludge, sewage sludge. Um, are you bringing sewage sludge into the area? We're bringing biosolids into the area. So there's, there's a lot of confusion around that. And those, those terms are used interchangeably. Um, like it sounds like you're going to have 100 trucks a day coming in with this sewage sludge. Mm-hmm. That's what I keep reading. And I just, I, you know, just from a little information that I know about the process, that doesn't seem to be the case. But again, I, you know, there's so much information out there. So I'm just. So a lot of people, even people within the wastewater treatment industry refer to sludge and biosolids interchangeably. Uh, but reality is sewage sludge is the, is the solids within a waste that are received at a wastewater treatment plant that come in with the water. And so it's a liquid. Sewage sludge is a liquid. You could have a bucket full of it. Right, sloshing around. Pour, right. Sloshing around and yeah. pour it out on the ground. It has not yet been treated. Uh, biosolids are treated sewage sludge. So it's, it's multiple stages after receipt of wastewater from mm-hmm. the sewage treatment plant. It gets dewatered, sludge settles out, uh, excuse me, the sludge settles out of the water for the dewatering process. They, in most cases, add the bacteria to it that cons- consumes organic matter and literally transforms sewage sludge into something else, which is called biosolids after mm-hmm. it's done. So it, there's an additional treatment process. I'm not suggesting that biosolids are clean. They're not. And in our opinion, they need much further treatment. You go that's why we're doing what we do right. to take that, that material, which has a lot of valuable carbon and nutrients in it, and clean it so that it can be safely and properly used uh, as an agricultural uh, soil amendment or fertilizer. So that's that's really the difference. Biosolids are the quote-unquote treated material that comes out of a sewage treatment plant, and it's not sewage sludge, and it's not liquid. It's a solid. So there is a difference between the two things. And that's, yes. Okay. That's the difference. And you're not bringing sewage sludge. We're not bringing sewage okay. <laughs> sludge. And another thing we've been accused of is we'll be burning sludge. We don't. Our, our process does not burn any solids. We don't burn sewage sludge. To be clear, we do not burn sewage sludge. The incinerator up the road or wherever else in New York State where the incinerators exist that do receive trash and municipal waste, which often includes biosolids, they are burning it. Well, so that was one of my other questions was, and because something you said earlier kind of said that, like, you know, let's just pretend there's no, no Saratoga biochar what, what happens to those biosolids now? What happens to that sewage sludge now? Where does, where does yeah, it go? I'll, I'll tell you exactly where it goes, uh, and I'll, I'll be as quick as I can because I know we're pressed for time. But just, just to back up a step, we're not an incinerator. There are incinerators out there that do burn biosolids. They burn the solids, and, and all that material, including only partially uh, uh, remediated PFAS, goes mm-hmm. up into the air. It's not all caught in the air scrubbers, not by, not by a long shot. Doesn't, doesn't Glens Falls have an incinerator? Yes. Yeah, right up the road. Yeah, right? Like, um, Wouldn't it be nice if some of the material divert, gets diverted from that incinerator to our facility where it can be properly handled, where we're not burning it and putting it up in the air? Yeah, so, so that's what, that, that was something that I was thinking about, too. I'm like, I don't understand. So Glens Falls Wastewater Treatment Plant, which is located on Shermantown Road in Glens Falls. Mm-hmm. And I just happen to know that because I used to have a business on Shermantown. Long story. But uh, right off of Warren Street, they burn it there. 
I, you know, I, I'd have to be careful. I don't know what their I don't know what that Warren Street facilities permit includes. I, I gotcha. really don't know if they actually are are permitted to to take and incinerate biosolids. But if they do, that wouldn't happen anymore after our facility is built. And but we do know other I do know of other incinerators in the state that are permitted to receive and incinerate biosolids along with municipal waste trash. Okay, uh, which is a, in our opinion a horrible practice. But um, back to your, your question about where do biosolids go currently in the state of New York? Um, well, first of all, interestingly, 25% of the biosolids generated in the state get trucked or train hauled out of the state because we're running out of landfill space. We don't have anywhere to put it. And, uh, and we're not permitting new landfills. It's extremely difficult in New York state at this point in time to develop a new landfill. But, so the question, it begs the question, how long are other states going to want to take our, you know, what? So right. we have... <laughs> Endless examples of where it's been hauled by train at a tremendous transportation cost. Bear in mind, biosolids, is, even though it's a solid, it's still 75% water content. So we're hauling water around all over the country. As far as Colorado, Texas, Tennessee, I think currently, um, by train. It's very, very expensive. It's a foolish way to handle this material. And it's only because we, we're not, we don't have a system here in New York to handle it properly. So 25% gets hauled out of state. Landfills accepted, incinerators accepted. That 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 comes to a, to an end pretty quickly because it just stinks and nobody wants it, and and rightly so. Um, secondly, uh, how does it handle here in the state? About sixty five percent gets landfilled. Um, most landfills are designed to uh, you know to attend to um, uh, water drainage within the landfill and not have leachate end up in the groundwater. But that there's no guarantee. So. You know, biosolids, leachates could be, you know, making their way out of the landfill uh, on surface water or through groundwater. It, it certainly, it must happen. Um, you know, I, I'm sure it happens. So there's that. It's a tremendous nuisance odor. It's usually used on the top of the trash pile because it, it makes it makes a good covering for it. It gets mixed with soil to, to cover um, uh, an area that a cell, a landfill cell that's been filled with, with municipal waste. And so therefore it's right on top. And so it rots and it stinks And the neighbor. If you smell a landfill from two miles away, it's probably not the trash. It's probably the biosolids that you're smelling rotting biosolids. And so a lot goes to, most goes to landfills. A good chunk goes to incineration where it gets directly, the solids are directly burned. And that's a tremendous waste of of a valuable material, carbon and nutrients, that puts a lot of carbon, carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide equivalents, and other contaminants up into our atmosphere. And then additionally, um, quite a fair amount of it, I think around 16% New York State gets uh, put towards what's called an alternative or quote-unquote beneficial use. It's composted and, and directly land applied as a fertilizer. And that's the probably one of the things that our company ethos is, is most averse to because that takes that material, which does have trace amounts of contaminants and, and frequently puts it right back into the human food chain, yeah. which in my opinion is stupid. And that's like what happened in Maine. That, the that is exactly right? what happened in Maine. And okay. we, are, we are diametrically opposed to that. That's, we do the exact opposite of that. We decontaminate that material, make it into a clean fertilizer, lab analyzed, guaranteed analyzed, certified clean for use as a fertilizer and matter of fact so clean that it will take some time and probably a couple years of consistent lab testing of our product but it is our goal in the end to get a usda organic certification for that material we may never get it uh, but we're going to come darn close and we're going to try it's that it is that clean so I know we're over our time, but I did one last quick question because I just I literally just saw this comment on Facebook uh, this morning was that uh, 
someone had said something about like you wouldn't put it on your own garden or something like that. Would you would you put your product on your own garden? I would absolutely put my product, our biochar, our carbon fertilizer on my own garden for food production for myself and my family. Uh, what may that 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 Facebook post may have been referring to by using biosolids, untreated biosolids mm-hmm. uh, as a fertilizer, which again, I, I totally agree that's crazy. It should not be used for human food production. It should also not be used for uh, uh, growing um, plant matter that's consumed by animals that we then eat because some of those contaminants and biosolids can bioaccumulate and make their way up through the food chain and end up on our plate. That's crazy. Yes, it is. We can do better. I agree. Ray, thanks again uh, for coming on today and, and kind of helping to, I mean, I, I feel a little less confused, that's for sure. Uh, and, you know, one more time, I think if uh, if anybody has questions, um, you know, it's can you give us the information on the Monday session one more time? Yeah, so there is a, a public participation virtual meeting uh, being held on Monday evening at 6 p.m. Monday, December 19th. Uh, information to access that meeting can be found on our website. That's saratogabiochar.com forward slash PPP, which is short for Public Participation Plan. Again, saratogabiochar.com forward slash PPP. There you'll find information on how to access the meeting as well as all of the links relative to our environmental permit applications. That's awesome. Well, thanks again. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, if you're listening and you have someone or know someone that is also as confused as I was, maybe uh, send this podcast over to them, send them the link. You'll be able to find it on both uh, Saratoga Business Report, Glens Falls Today, and Saratoga Today. Dot, or no, sorry, Saratoga Today Newspaper. Dot com. Thanks. Well, one other, sorry, Mike. Yeah, no, go ahead. One other uh, real quick thing for, for listeners that are interested in direct interaction. You can use our company email address. Uh, it's called info, I-N-F-O, at saratogabiochar.com. That's awesome. I, I know that you have been pretty right. I remember I was sitting in a planning board meeting, and you'd actually given one of the, the local residents your cell phone, told them to Absolutely. call you or text you if there's any issues. Absolutely. So, uh, appreciate that, Right. Thanks again. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, Mike.